No, really good morning. And I also, I do want a special uh, good morning to those who are watching online. We, we uh, had a fun uh, start to this morning. We had our, uh, the first sound guy uh, text in to Rudy and say, yeah, sick can't come. So we had a backup and got a hold of that person and uh, sorry, sick can't come. And uh, finally we got to Nick and he goes, okay, I'll be there. And so we have a lot of people still away actually from the Christmas New Year's break, but also a lot of people homesick. So good morning to you too. And to all of you who are here, a uh, great morning uh, for a lot of reasons uh, from my perspective. Uh, well, first of all, we're back as a church from the, the Christmas break. And we're starting a new series today um, in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles with you, you're going to want to open them to 2 Timothy. Uh, we're going to be in the first seven verses today. This will be a nine-week series. Uh, like we did uh, last September through November, we went through 1 Timothy. And so why are we doing this? What, are, what were we thinking to be doing this? Well, it actually started last April where we were praying about it. I was praying about it. I met with the elders and said, you know what? I think I'd really like to, we should as a church, go through what are called the pastoral epistles. And uh, so what we started that last September, the first Timothy epistle that Paul wrote to Timothy, his young protege in the faith who uh, was the leader and pastor of the church in Ephesus. That letter was written to him as is Second Timothy. Um, in between those two letters, Paul actually wrote Titus, but in our Bibles, Titus come, wrote to Titus. Uh, that comes after First and Second Timothy, so we're staying with our Bible as far as order is concerned. And today, beginning this uh, letter to Timothy, it's a follow-up uh, letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, who is in Ephesus. And we learned from the first series, the title for that first series was Living in Our Father's House. And Paul, when he wrote the letter to Timothy, he actually told Timothy in no uncertain terms, in verses actually, which we'll have on screen in a second, he told Timothy exactly uh, why he was writing this letter to him. And we see in verses uh, 14 and 15 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, Paul says to him, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know, not just you, Timothy, but the people in the church that you're reading this to and you're leading, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So it's wonderful when you can find something like that, right? Where it's like, okay, that's the reason why I'm writing to you. There were a lot of other things that we saw in that. And and we noticed that in that epistle, there were two really prominent themes that Paul kept coming back to or was trying to communicate to Timothy and to the church. And I believe, we believe the Holy Spirit to us today. And the first was, of course, really a fun one, which was he warned him five times in that first epistle to beware of who? False teachers and false teaching. Five times. He kept coming back to it. That was fun, right? Kept coming back to it and and telling him and encouraging Timothy. On the other hand, secondly, the other theme was, Timothy, listen, here's what I want you to do. Don't worry about that so much. It's a problem. Be aware of it. You're aware that your people are being led astray by these false teachers. But you, Timothy, read the scripture publicly. Open the word of God. Preach the word of God to your church, to the people. And why? Well, well, well the deal is, if, if, if you and I, if they know this really, really well, really, really know what it says and the truth of it in the plain reading of the text, remember hearing that repeatedly in the first series? Then you know what? they'll detect the counterfeit the minute they hear it, the minute they see it. So you don't really need to worry about that. And so that was really, really important. And as I said, I kind of leaned on just there. 
I repeated it quite a bit in the first series. And that is, is that we need to look at the scripture in the plain reading of the text. It's challenging, right? The plain reading makes us go, hold on. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's quite countercultural, don't you think? Anybody from the first series? It's quite countercultural. And when you read it, it just, it is. I mean, in the very first chapter, we hit on what? Men who practice homosexuality. You, you can't avoid it. It's there. And so it, we had to read about that. We also read about, of course, men's and women's roles in the church <laughs> in the plain reading of the scripture and the text. We also learned about who it is that can be called to and appointed to the office of elder and also deacon. And so it was about the household of God setting things in order. This is how the church of God should operate and function so that it will be healthy and so that the gospel will truly proclaim, be proclaimed and so that people will come to saving faith in Jesus. Amen? Let's just close that book. That was the whole point and that really was. And so you were repeatedly encouraged last time, and I'm going to say it again, to hear the scripture, read the scripture, and, and trust it in the plain reading. Because what my tendency used to be, and I think a lot of people's tendency is, and it clearly is in our, our culture and day and age today, and even in the church, is to look at it and say, well, that, that's, oh, man. I don't think people are going to like that. I mean, my day, way back in the 60s, it used to be like creation evolution, right? Because Darwin was, you know, super popular, and that was the big deal. And it was like, that was the debate. You know, people need to, Genesis 1 says six literal days. How do we, I'm not going there, but anyway, it's just evolved into so many different things today. I, I want to leave you with, actually, as we start 2 Timothy, with this thought as well. I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm actually going to try to bring up to date uh, something that uh, uh, preachers used to have said about how we approach the scripture many years ago, but I want to modernize it for our modern ears. And I want to put it to you this way. As we're reading 2 Timothy and going through this study for nine weeks, I, I want to suggest to you that rather than deconstructing the Bible, which is what is happening a lot in our world and culture today and in the church, how about we let the Bible deconstruct us? Amen? Anybody? That's the point. This is life-giving. This is life-changing. Life if we allow it to speak to our sinful, broken, prideful, rebellious hearts. And so I'm going to encourage you with that. You saw on the screen as we had it up that um, our theme for 2 Timothy is also given to us by the Apostle Paul. And it's called Guarding the Good Deposit. And so we'll come back to that a little bit more in a second. But as is our pattern, I want to read our seven verses, our text for today. Pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. So these will not be on screen. We'll get back to them. Um, if you have a Bible with you, read along with me, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, the author, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you, constantly in my prayers, night and day. I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. 
I'm also reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Father, thank you for calling us to this place at this time, uh, this town, this community, but also to this gathering this morning. Um, as your children, as those of uh, your creation who, Lord, we, we, we sincerely desire to know who you are, to know you well, by studying what you have done, what you've said, how much you've loved us. Oh, Father, I just pray for our church body here this morning and those watching online and our, our church as a whole, but also, Lord, for any church this morning that is opening the word and preaching the truth of the word uh, to ears that are hopefully eager to hear. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be changed today. Our hearts would be encouraged. And out of that, Lord, we might live the life that you came to save us for. So I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to suggest to you that in a similar way that uh, Paul gave us the really clear indication in 1 Timothy why he wrote this letter, or 1 Timothy that is. It's maybe not succinctly clear, but I think it is. Uh, what his theme was and why he wrote this second letter to Timothy. Um, he actually kind of alluded to it at the end. You remember the conclusion in 1 Timothy when he was basically saying his goodbyes to Timothy uh, from that letter anyway, his conclusion. It won't be on screen, but he said this in chapter 6, verse 20, the beginning of it. He said, Oh, Timothy, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And I suggested at that time, it's almost like as we get to 2 Timothy, it's almost like Paul was like, I, I want to reread the letter that I wrote to Timothy the first time because I want to I remember what I said and maybe I, maybe I need to see. And then he saw that, but, but maybe not. And we're going to see it fully next week, but here it will be on screen for you. What I believe is the theme and the reason why he wrote this second letter. It's in verses 13 and 14, which we will look at more in depth next week. Paul says this. Follow the pattern of the sound words, that we have the sound doctrine that he did speak about in 1 Timothy, that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit, good deposit entrusted to you, to me, and to the church. And so what is that good deposit, do you think? Well, we're going to look at it in depth. We always already have in 1 Timothy, it, it is the words of faith that the gospel that Timothy heard from his grandmother and his mother. Two Jewish women who came to faith, we likely believe, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Um, Timothy's father was a Gentile, a Greek, who we do not believe was a Christian, a believer. And so it was his grandmother and his mom who discipled this boy and brought him to faith in Christ. It's a remarkable thing. So we have that. And it's also the sound words of the doctrine that he learned from, Timothy, from Paul. He, he traveled with Paul for 10 years 
before Paul, at leaving home at 18, 19 years of age, to travel with the Apostle Paul and to see what good ministry looks like, to help him plant churches, to listen to his preaching and walk with him on the roads and hear him teach, 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 and then be left in Ephesus to pastor a church. I think he was well prepared, and yet he was young. And we saw in the first letter he had a lot of fears. He didn't know how to handle these uh, false teachers or the rumbling of the kids upstairs. Mike can go louder. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he had a lot of fears. He wrote letters to Paul, and that we understand is why Paul wrote back to him to give him uh, this encouragement. So, as I said, since Paul is really responding to Timothy, and he's heard of his troubles with these false teachers, we, we need to think about this commandment. Um, and that commandment that he's giving to Timothy in this letter is, guard the good deposit. Like, guard it. Like, like an armed guard. <laughs> It's the gospel. It's the word of God. Stand behind it when you proclaim it, but stand in front and guard it. It's a a solemn command and challenge. So let's look at a little bit of context first before we dive into our verses for today. Um, It's a very significant letter in many, many ways. As I said, it's actually written after Titus. It is the last letter that the Apostle Paul will write. It's written approximately four to five years after 1 Timothy. uh, And much has happened in Paul's life and ministry, much, as well as in Timothy's. In in Timothy's case, it's clear that he he heeded the command that Paul gave to him at the beginning of 1 Timothy, which was, hey, Timothy, by the way, I know things are getting rough. I've been reading your letters, hearing reports. But listen, stay in Ephesus. (laughs) Stay there, young man. It appeared to us as we looked at the first letter that maybe Timothy was thinking of bailing. Maybe he was thinking, like, this is too tough, man. The criticism, nobody likes my preaching, uh, and the false teaching, it's just... But four to five years later, guess what? He stayed. That's good. That's what we see at the beginning of this letter, that he stayed. So now it's four to five years later, and we see that Timothy is soldiering on which is a good thing. And despite that, as we will soon see again in 2 Timothy, the heretics and false teachers have continued to plague the church. They just don't give up. They, they were with the church in the early days. They're with the church today. It's just the way it is, which is why we study this. We, we need to be aware of these things. So Paul's life, ministry, and circumstances, on the other hand, have changed rather dramatically and not for the better. Since he left Timothy in Ephesus and wrote the first letter uh, and then left Titus in Crete, uh, he headed off to Macedonia. Uh, He's been in in and out of prison and beaten within an inch of his life at least twice in this last four to five years. And simply for one reason, he would not stop preaching the gospel. That's why he was beaten. And that's why he was imprisoned. And finally, as he's writing this letter, as he's writing this letter, he is in what commentators described and theologians described as the most hellish prison in Rome. Dark, cold, no visitors, barely food. And he's writing this letter. In addition, he's chained to his bed. Daily. The Emperor Nero is callously burning Christians at the stake, 
in those days. For what? Well, for believing in Christ, for proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming this word. Tradition tells us that Paul knew his fate. He knew what was coming, and he had to get this letter off to Timothy. And it also tells us that within three to four months of writing this letter, Paul was taken to the outskirts of Rome and beheaded, martyred for the faith. And he writes this letter. It's super encouraging. So I I want us to appreciate these things as we approach this letter for two reasons, or two things about it. First, we have in this letter and, and the New Testament letters as a whole um, we know that they've been, they've been preserved for us by the Holy, or inspired, I should say, by the Holy Spirit, but also preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. But we also must acknowledge this. They have been preserved, written and preserved by those who wrote these letters, those who received these letters, all of the apostles, Timothy, Titus, James, Peter, John, all of the men and the women in these churches who literally literally gave their lives so that we could have this. It has to be impressed upon us. This was costly. Your salvation, my salvation was costly. It cost Christ's life. And what did he say? Take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself and follow me. What did they do? They did it. So let's remember that. Secondly, let's also remember this. Timothy, Timothy has this letter. Can you imagine the first? He gets this letter, you know, and, and he's reading it. And, and later, as you're going to see in this letter, Paul talks about his condition, his situation. He also talks about how many people have abandoned him. Like Luke is the only one still with him. And, and Timothy's like, oh, man. And, and he's saying to Timothy, I, I need you to come see me. <laughs> and by the way, bring the parchments. Bring me a robe. You know my, my really nice robe, the one that I like, the one I got from Banana Republic? Bring that one. Okay, banana, okay, right. He actually asks Timothy to do that. But Timothy is reading this, and, and he's got to be seriously concerned. So Timothy has the letter. It's addressed to him, which is precious. He, he's read it personally. He's shared it with the church in Ephesus. He's had it copied and distributed to all the other churches because that's what they did. That's how we have so many different copies of these letters. And that's why we know as we go over them in the original manuscripts and, and copies that we do have that it's the truth because there were so many copies without much error in them whatsoever. And so now months later, as he continues to read this letter, he's reading it with fresh eyes. His father in the faith is gone. He's dead. Timothy has to feel very sad, but he's also feeling like he's on his own. So as we continue through this letter uh, over the next eight to nine weeks, let's consider this as we read how Paul encourages Timothy to continue the fight, the good fight, while he's in this place, knowing his future. And at the same time, Timothy, reading this, I mean, if Timothy was feeling timid and a little frightened, right, before when when he wrote 1 Timothy to, the first letter to Timothy, how about now? How about now? Well, Paul pens this beautiful letter, I believe, to A, hold him up, B, build him up, and thirdly, to pass the baton to him. 
and to the other leaders in the church at that time. And so let's begin. Let's read the first two verses in 2 Timothy, and we'll have a look at what it has to say to us. It'll be on screen for you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, if, if it wasn't for the fact that I had already produced or sent the booklets to the printers and decided we were doing verses 1 through 7 today, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday as I was reviewing the outline anyway and about to write this message, I thought, we could just spend the whole sermon on verses 1 and 2. And you might be thinking, like, hold on, well, no, there's a lot here. It's, it's, it's an incredible introduction and for a number of reasons. I'll highlight a couple this morning because we are going to look at the rest. But, but you all know, if you've been reading the New Testament for a while, that the way that they signed their letters was different than we do today, right? The signature always comes up front. And so that, that's kind of what we have here at the front. But, but there's, this is much more than a signature at this point. Timothy knows who Paul is. Timothy knows he's an apostle. Timothy knows about grace, mercy, and peace. He knows about all these things. This is typical Pauline language. This is typical how, how Timothy would signature a letter as well. He wouldn't call himself an apostle. He might call himself an elder or a pastor. So this is not unusual. But he, he knows also what follows. So there's got to be more to it. Once again, Paul intended this letter, of course, for Timothy. However, it was also to be read in the church, passed on to all the churches, and the Holy Spirit intended that one day you and I would be here today reading this letter. And so we need to know whose signature should be on this and this text. So let's have a little bit of a closer look. First off, Paul's not bragging by saying he's an apostle. You know, there are some pastors out there. My title at the Rock Church is lead pastor, but I often, as we did in the introduction this morning, I said, I'm one of the pastors here. But there's some people who are really, I'm the lead pastor, right? Like that has to be put across, right? I don't like to go there. That's not the case. I'm one of a plurality of elders here, but I do have a role. In Paul's case, this is, this is something that means a lot to him. You know his story on the road to Damascus when he was going with letters from the, the, the Jewish religious leaders to go to Damascus and, and capture a bunch of Christians, bring them back, and, and have them put to death because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a zealous man. Jesus strikes him blind on the road to Damascus. He meets the real Jesus face to face, but doesn't actually see him, but he knows who he's talking to. He apprehended him, and he made him an apostle. And so this is something, it is something of pride, but it's not about bragging. He's very proud to be chosen by Christ to be an apostle, to be a preacher of the gospel and a planter of many, many churches, to be a writer of the New Testament. It means a lot to Paul. He's very proud of it in a right way. But, but he, re, he reveals to us right here in this introduction that it isn't because of his really good CV, right? It, it, it's not his resume that got him this. It says right in the text, by the will of God. I am certain for Paul, and I'm certain for Timothy, I'm certain in my own life, there are times when I know, I know I was called to do this. I know I was called to leave the business world and come here and plant this church with my wife and kids, and hopefully some of you would show up. 
But there are times along the way you're going, I wouldn't have chose this on my own. No, it's by the will of God. He chose it. And Paul's saying it that way because that's important for us to understand. And he he wants Timothy to know that too. And so he goes on here, by the will of God, further to that, his desire is to ensure that all of those who would read this letter would know in whose authority he's speaking. And so he's written constantly about, listen, on the road to Damascus, then I went for three years, I, you know, I was blind at first, and I got healed, and then for three years, I heard direct download from Jesus Christ. I didn't make up this gospel. I went to Jerusalem at one time because some of the real capital A apostles were questioning my apostleship. And I went there and I shared with them, never having met any of them, never having heard their teaching, and I shared the gospel with them and they went, that's the gospel. This man did meet Jesus. Literally. This man is an apostle like us. And so this is, this is he, he's reminding this. Secondly, Paul uses a phrase here, a phrase here pertaining to the gospel that we do not see. I love this when we see this. Anywhere else in the New Testament, anywhere else, and is this phrase, the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. I want to dwell on that for a second. <laughs> this is super important. Have you ever found yourself in a place Um, or experiencing a point in your life when you've uttered the words, now this is the life, right? You ever had that happen? Come on, right? I remember the first time we took the kids, to our two eldest boys, to Maui. I remember that. I do. I remember getting the rental car, getting to the resort that we stayed in, getting changed into my bathing suit, grabbing a towel, grabbing a beach chair and an umbrella, and maybe also a drink with an umbrella in it, right? And get down to the beach, 30 to 40 feet back from the beautiful waves. The sun is you know, setting in the west, flowing under my face. Get the umbrella up, lean back and go, now this is anybody? Come on. I know, I know. Listen, I know. A lot of people at the Rock Church, and, and it's fantastic. You know, uh, we went up, Janice and I went up on the gondola yesterday because it was sunny. <laughs> and we go up late in the day. We got our passes and we get up there. And, and it, it, like, you climb a mountain, some of you, right? You're nuts, but it's okay. You do it, right? And then you stand there and you go, man, this is the life, right? Well, it is. Problem is, the truth is, they're too short-lived, right? They're infrequent. Not enough. You got to get another hit of adrenaline in order to feel like this is life. We're all seeking after that. I actually sense it's a universal desire. It's a universal desire. You know it's true whether you're young or old. Regardless of where on the planet you live, everyone desires a full life. We do. None of us want to be bored. (laughs) How many of you have a smartphone? (laughs) That's proof right there that you don't want to be bored, right? It's unbelievable, right? You get into an elevator and everybody's like, yeah, I don't want to be bored. We don't. None of us want our life to be dull, empty, and especially end up being not really worth talking about. None of us want that. We all want our lives to make us feel truly alive. 
That, of course, is why we are suckers for people who used to plot what the, the trade that I used to apply in marketing and advertising, right? We're suckers for, for them and the promises that they make about how easy it is to have the good life, which is what it's often referred to, right? And it's really simple. All you got to do is buy our product. Or, I mean, you need to buy the newest one of our products, right? Or you need to buy this service or you need to go here and do that, spend a gazillion dollars to get there for two weeks and go... We're suckers for that. We really are. One of my favorite movies of all time, I was thinking of uh, re- watching it just the other night, Robin Williams, Dead Poet Society. Remember that movie? It's so awesome, right? But there's one scene in it which was kind of like me back in the day when I was in business. I used to do motivational seminars. I have repented. But it's that point where he stands in front of the, you know, like in the lobby of the, the school and there's the pictures of all the guys that used to go to that school and they're all dead, Right? And he points to those pictures and he looks at all the guys that are there and they're all like 17, 18, lots of pimples, right? And they're looking at him and he goes, Carpe diem, seize the day, boys. Suck the marrow out of life. Well, we learned during our study of the Sermon on the Mount last year that everyone is seeking the good life. Everyone is. Everyone is seeking the good life. And yet, sadly even... Even those of us who are Christians from time to time, those who've received the Holy Spirit, those who have been born again and have this life that is in Christ Jesus, we often fail to confidently say, no matter the circumstances, now this is the life. This life here, the life in Christ Jesus, this is the good life. I believe with all my heart, and I'm sure most of you are going to agree with me, that Jesus was very serious when he spoke the word. Right? When he said that this is truth, or when he said this, he, he believed it, didn't he? And you all know these words. John 14, 6, Jesus said this, it'll be on screen. He said, I am a way. No, I, I am the definite article way. Way to what? Well, the way back to the Father the way of salvation too, but the way to the far. I am the truth. There is a definite article truth. It is a person. And it is his words. His name is Jesus. And then he says, and I am the life. It's declared that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. Christians, he did. He did. He came to give us that. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Paul, having declared this fantastic truth, then declares to Timothy, therefore, listen, my beloved child, my son in the faith, such encouraging words. You know, listen, Timothy, you now know because you have the Holy Spirit. You are in Christ. You know this life. You know grace. You know that you didn't deserve this salvation. It's unmerited favor. You know the mercy. And by the way, mercy is not just when you're able to sit on the beach and go, this is the life. God is being merciful to you. No, you know what? He's being merciful to you when you actually wake up every day. He's being merciful to you and I and to everyone on this planet when the sun comes up or is least visible. (laughs) Mercy is in everything that God gives to us. And then out of that, we find peace. That is what comes from God the Father and his Son, Christ Jesus, Timothy. So I believe just in the introduction, the first two verses, Timothy would have been greatly encouraged. 
How about you? I am. This is a great reminder. It's just really encouraging. So now let's read these words going forward from Timothy's perspective after Paul's death. Because we're on that side of the story too, aren't we? He goes on in verses 3 and 4. Paul writing, I, in chains, in a cold, dark prison, knowing my death is near, I thank God, (laughs) whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I have to believe this as he reread this over and over. Ever got a letter from someone who you loved and you really wanted to love you? <laughs> this would have brought tears to Timothy's eyes every single time he read this letter. Paul, Paul wait a second. You're, you're saying you remember my tears? Timothy had to be thinking as he reread this. You're chained up to a cold, dark Roman prison. You know your death is coming. And whether day or night, you're constantly praying for me? You think you're not, you know, Lord, get me out of these chains. Timothy, prayer request, send it out on the e-newsletter. Everybody, pray that I get out of prison. Pray that they don't kill me. No. I'm praying for you. And you know he's not just praying for Timothy. He's praying for Titus. He's praying for all the other apostles. He's praying for all the women that he's met and throughout his ministry. He's praying for everybody. There's no focus on himself. So let me ask you this question. Do you know, have you known anyone who's prayed for you like that? Who is praying for you like that right now? I I can think of two people. Like my my mentor, I've told you about him before many times. He passed away about a year and a half, almost two years ago. Now, Dr. Dr. Doug Yackel, he he did that. I know. He he, Well, he told me, but I just knew. He would ask me, Glenn, how can I pray for you? Glenn, how can I pray for you? Glenn, again, how can I pray for you? But the the prayer warrior of my life, who thankfully is still alive and she's she's in pain, and Janice and I both know she's going to be gone very soon, her mother, Carol, my mother-in-law, my mother in the faith, my Lois. She prays for me every day. She's probably praying right now because she knows what I'm doing right now. She watches me. She's bedridden, basically. She has 28 or 30 grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and she prays for every one of them every day. So let me flip this question. Who are you praying for? Who are you the prayer warrior for? Who am I the prayer warrior for? Well, not to put ourselves on any pedestal, but Janice and I have a list. It's called the Rock Church e-newsletter list. (laughs) Well, it's our church list. People here and people who've also moved on, and we pray throughout the month for people in our church. We pray for you. And so it's really important that we do this. And so I'd ask you parents... Start praying for your children, if you're not already. Children, pray for your parents, okay? Pray for each other. The Apostle Paul, his prayers are prayers of, look at the verse, they're thanks to God. It's it's never like, God, why are you letting this happen to me? 
What are you, why are you letting this happen to so-and-so? It's, it's, they're prayers of thanks to God, the one whom he serves, regardless of his own sufferings and trials. And in this case, they're for Timothy. And then he adds this, I love this, with a clear conscience. Don't raise your hand, but does anyone here honestly have a clear conscience before God? Look, the Apostle Paul has told us many times, you remember Romans 7, I don't know what it is with me, but that that I'm not supposed to do, I do, and that what I know I'm supposed to be doing, I don't do. So he's admitted, I am the chief of all sinners. He's admitted repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly that he falls short. But he knows the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. This is remarkable that he says this at this point, and I believe it's for this reason. He knows he's about to die. And so besides every day praying for Timothy and for Titus and for everyone else, and maybe even for you and I in the future who would read this and come to faith in Christ, he's repenting of his sins. Even his thoughts, his wrong thoughts that he's having there in that prison. And that's why he can say, and we're going to see his conclusion of this letter in our conclusion today, I have a clear conscience before God. I've confessed my sins. I've owned them. And I know that they're completely forgiven. He's ready. So as he prays, he's reminded likely of the last time or the few times that he's, he's seen Timothy. Timothy, obviously, not only was he timid, but he was a very emotional, uh, in a good way, had a, a good heart. There, you'll see when we get to chapter 3, Paul talks about, hey, you remember the times that we went through Iconium and Lystra and all these different places and the persecutions that I suffered and that you suffered? And, and it was probably during those times also that Timothy cried and he saw his tears. But also we know when, when Paul left the elders in Ephesus and Timothy there the last time, he told them, you won't see me again. You won't see me again, guys. And so Timothy probably cried at that time. And he finishes with, Timothy, you have to hear this. I long to see you. I miss you, son. But even the thought of you gives me Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. I particularly like this. My mom's name was Eunice. She preferred to be called Eunice in her later life. She thought that was more regal. Okay. This young man was gospeled by two women of sincere faith. And Paul's saying to him, do, do you remember them? Do you remember them, how they raised you? Do you remember how, how they, they lived? Do you remember how sincere their faith in the Old Testament scriptures were and then how they saw when Paul explo- uh, uh, showed it to them that th- this is all pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, and, and how sincere their faith was? We need those reminders, guys. You need those reminders. I need those reminders. People of sincere faith. And so it was really important for him to see that, to see and be reminded about them. And so basically, Paul is saying, Timothy, you do remember the sincerity of their faith, don't you? Think about it. Remember it now, because you're going to need it. This is a reminder and a picture, actually, of discipleship. These two women discipled Timothy so faithfully, so well, that he what? He became a disciple who makes disciples. Listen, I'm going to suggest this to you. That's how you know your faith is sincere. That's how you and I know our faith is sincere. How? We take the command of Jesus seriously. Go and make disciples 
who make disciples. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. That's how we actually know our faith is sincere and not just something we check on a Sunday and say, well, no, it's more than that. We conclude with verses 6 and 7. It goes from, I'm praying for you. I, I want to remind you. I'm reminded even. And then he says in verse 6 and 7, For this re- reason, again, I remind you to fan in, into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So finally, Paul says, Timothy... Since we all know and can all see your sincere faith. Because look, I, I mess up. Every pastor, every Christian messes up. We have our days when we go, I don't, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm, what? Anybody? He knows, Paul knows. He knows Timothy's feeling this way. And he's going, Timothy, I've seen your sincere faith. So is everyone else. I just want to encourage you one more time. But then he says this. I want to remind you also this. Fan into flame the gift of God. This is a powerful encouragement that he's giving to Timothy. Really powerful. He's saying, remember, to look back and remember that he does, in fact, A, have a gift of God. I want you to remember that that's been affirmed, right? And it's for the work of ministry that he's been called to. You need to know that. I was told in church planting school, start writing a journal. Start making notes about all the things because there are going to come days when you're going to get into Squamish. You're going to be 10 years, whatever number of years in, and you're going to be going, what happened? Was I really called to do this? He's reminding him. So Paul affirms that this gift is literally in him, which the laying on of Paul's hands didn't accomplish, actually, but they affirmed them to be true. When we appoint and anoint a new Man to be an elder in the Rock Church, we bring that person up, we lay hands on that person. God is the one who's calling and, and, and willing that person to be an elder, not our, our laying on of hands is just an affirmational sign that we acknowledge that too. We see that leadership in that person. It's a fantastic picture. But it's also this, it's, it's also, I, I believe Paul is like, you know what, Timothy, um, you've got this gift, it's been confirmed, but I, I think right now, Timothy, from what I'm reading and hearing from other people and maybe even from you, is it might need a little bit more fire. So he's concerned that that fire is going out. So friends, I want to encourage you this morning. Every believer in Christ has spiritual gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit of God. The thing is, and as one commentator put it, if you're not using them, hear the words of Paul to Timothy for yourself. Rekindle, stir up, like you would stir up the embers of a fire that is about to go out, the gift that is in you. Paul is encouraging Timothy for the same reason as we need to be encouraged when he says, for God gave us a spirit, listen, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul and Timothy, as well as the church on that day, all had legitimate far more legitimate reasons than we do today to be in fear. Right? They, they could be put to death by Nero. Many of them were 
Today, we have to suffer through cancel culture. Oh, I don't know if I want to tell people what the Word of God says, because the level of persecution for their faith and in Christ was acute. Death was a real possibility. Today, really, not that much. You know, I I feel like there's an old saying that a lot of us, you know, when, when people lament about how tough the Christian life is or how tough it is, and like, I just, you know, I need more faith, and I don't know what I'm doing. And have you ever heard the saying, people go, just listen, let go and let God. You ever heard that? Do you realize that's unbiblical? (laughs) It's truly unbiblical. We don't let God do anything. God does what God will do. J.I. Packer uh, commented on that. That's kind of where I got it, where he said it's unbiblical. He said, look, instead of saying let go and let God, how about trust God and just go? Amen? Come on. So we, we, we should know that fear is not from God, but also the word tells us here, exhorts us to trust this word. In Christ, we have the spirit who provides us with the power that we need to overcome everything, including sin that still tempts us and we war against. The spirit gives us the love for him and for our neighbor that we need so that we can go and proclaim the good news. And finally, the self-control, or better, as one commentator put it, put it the self-mastery that will give us the same clear conscience that the Apostle Paul had. And if that's true, and I believe that's what you all want to be true, because it's what I want to be true, then we will all be able to say on the day that we know it's coming. Some of us don't know what that day is going to be. It could be today. But we will be able to say the words of the Apostle Paul that he concludes this letter with, and I want to read them for you as we close. He says in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 4, beyond screen, I have fought the good fight. Hey, hey, listen, he fought. We're in a war. It's a battle. It's a good thing. He fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He didn't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I have kept the faith. Don't deconstruct. Let it deconstruct you and I. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There's a reward, guys. It's called the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen? Pray with me, would you? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. Yeah, uh, Lord, I'm so grateful that we, we have your word. Lord, as I, as I mentioned that the Christmas Eve service in conclusion that Jesus told us why he came, he came to seek and save the lost. Lord, without your word, we're lost. So we're so glad that you found us. We're glad that we found you. And so, Lord, I just pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here, for all who see or listen to this today, that Oh, Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence in your word. I pray that we would take up uh, the, the, 
the charge that Paul is making to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus and to all of us, and that is that we would guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to every one of us. I pray that we would do that individually. We would do that as a church. So, Lord, I thank you and praise you and ask for you to bless us in this year ahead. In Jesus' worthy name I pray. Amen.